Good evening. Welcome to our mission conference here this year. It's good to see everyone fellowshipping and join one another. If you'll stand, remember our theme this year is faithfulness, and so we're going to sing about the faithfulness of God tonight. And uh, let me start off with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, it's so good to be here this evening. As I look around your room, I see this room, I see sweet examples of faithfulness everywhere I look, places where you've worked, um, people whose lives you've changed. And Lord, I'm grateful, grateful for all that you've done. Lord, as we come tonight, I ask that our hearts would be open. Lord, you're calling us to new levels of faithfulness. Um, you're calling us to put down sin, to repent of old family idols that we've worshipped maybe for decades without even knowing it. Lord, you're calling us to purity. You're calling us to look like you. So open our ears tonight. Open our hearts. May we hear your word. May we sing your praises. And may we come away changed. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. He will hold us fast. Let's sing.
Hi, how are you? Good. I want to introduce to you, to you somebody that most of you have already met and already know. This is Pastor Pravin Shinde uh, from India, from Mumbai. I've had the pleasure, yes. I've had the pleasure of being in his home. I've met his family. And uh, when you speak of someone who humbly and willingly and boldly follows the Lord. This is that man. Where did he? There he is. <laughs> and so I will let you listen to his heart. Let's pray. I request Pastor Mike, please come forward and pray for us. I've been in his home too. Amazing man. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this evening, for the grace to be here. Thank you, Lord, that you're working all around this world in places, Lord God, that are amazing and beautiful and broken and lost. Thank you, Lord. For my brother, Pastor Shinde, his wife, his children, his church, my other brothers, the believers that are laboring, and I do mean laboring, Lord, for the gospel, for the kingdom in Mumbai and across India, around the world. Thank you, Lord, for bringing this man to our conference, into our lives. Let him be a part of our lives. Thankful. I'm so thankful for that. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, you're worthy of worship and praise for your love and grace and mercy toward us. I ask you, bless my brother as he shares tonight. I ask you to open our hearts to hear that we might have a little picture, a little glimpse of what's happening in Mumbai and in the ministry that he's doing in his family. And I pray you continue to bless our service. And Lord, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, I'm going to share today about my family, which is forefather. Uh, 0052 AD, Thomas came to India. Which Thomas? The disciple of Jesus Christ. and he came to kerala there is the south india and uh, we receive our forefather received jesus christ 1912 from kerala to my village jesus word your gospel did not came from kerala but came from america to my village 
there is no bus service there is no train service up to they came by car in one of city like kolapur and from kolapur to my village they came by bullock car missionaries came by bullock car and they share gospel to my forefathers and uh, 2019-12 my forefather received Jesus Christ why you know that they are not getting bread to eat they are not getting food to eat they are like dying and these american people when they came to my village they gave milk they gave bread and they survive our family and then they share the gospel and my forefather they received gospel so that's why i am very grateful for america england they work very hard and for mission work and that's why i said that the heartbeat of god is mission and the lots of americans they did mission work during that day and still they are doing i don't know from your side how many people you are doing mission work but if you are not doing you learn from your great grandfathers how they are working and how we save how we believe jesus christ and that's why god call me to serve the lord 1992 i received jesus christ my personal savior and then 1993 god called me to his ministry and uh, i went to bible college 3 years not much more years or i'm not graduated i'm not studied more just bth in missions bachelor of theology in missions and that is in my language marathi language not in english so that's why my english is not good <laughs> so maybe you are understanding my english and you have to catch my english <laughs> that is a big assignment today and tomorrow <laughs> yeah so 1993 i studied and then i started work uh, and you know that there is lots of problem my my professor tell me uh, he teach me that pravin working with machines it's very easy when you on the button machine will on off the button machine will stop but you are working with men working with people and they will not stop they will not on they will going on and on and on they have lots of problem and you have to face that problems and that is the truth when i serving god 
there is a problems and problems and problems and i learn from bible there is trials there is problems there is many things will come rejoice rejoice don't cry but rejoice and uh, first peter i'm going to close with this word because i have to give time to pastor brian scott so uh, he may speak more in mission uh, somebody can read for me first peter chapter 4 uh, verse 13 14 and 16 but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed If you are insulted for the name of Christ you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief an evil doer or a meddler yet if anyone suffers as a Christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name yeah thank you so much sir glorify God and rejoice always because our God Jesus he suffered lot for you and me and we are the followers of god we are followers of jesus we have to we have to follow him with rejoice there is lots of stories in mumbai going on if i tell that stories so i am not able to give mic to pastor brian so okay there is one story i have to tell with i share with pastor uh, mike and he wants me to tell you, uh, all of you there is two week back there is one uh, god's birthday hindu god's birthday you know how many gods is there in india uh, in my sunday school 30 30 36 million gods are there in india and they stay in cow how i don't know and don't ask me that question how they stay because i don't know that <laughs> and that gods uh, birthday was there and my son went to celebrate his friend's birthday and they wants to cut cake night 12 o'clock that is the trade is going on i don't know here but in mumbai that that trade is going on and my son went there and some people some young people the drunker they came to my son and he was wearing cross and they said you have to take our god's name because his birthday is there and my son said no i don't take his his name because i follower of jesus christ and then they broke the bottle of uh, beer bottle or something yeah he, they broke the bottle and they put his, his neck 
and said, if you will not say our God's name, we will put this bottle in your neck and we will kill you. My son said, you cut my hands, you cut my legs and throw me somewhere, but I will follow Jesus. I will not take your God's name. And when he is telling me, I'm not sad. I am like rejoicing. Oh, that's we want. <laughs> because we Indians are very, uh, we are not sharing gospel many more. We have to share, we have to do work. And because of the trials and this comes, we have to rejoice because we do God's work. And if there is going simply, we are just sleeping. Oh, there is going work. No need to do work. Just keep quiet, comfortable in our churches. But the problems come, we come together and we work. And that's why uh, this, hap- uh, this problems is going on. There is many problems. One missionary beaten by one group. And uh, six years back, they beat him like anything like animal some people they beat animal they beat that pastor like anything and after before two years he got paralysis attack because he got the uh, he beaten by the, that people so these things is going on and we need your prayers and uh, that is, we need to stand against these people. We need, we need the strength to stand against these people. So we need prayer. So please pray for us. Thank you. Thank you. If I could have some men come forward, we're going to take an offering. We're going to be taking an offering every evening. Uh, every session we meet, and these offerings will go to these missionaries who have joined us in their families and in their ministry. So this is the way uh, we should give. We pray, we ask God to show us what to give, and then we give willingly. Let's pray. Father, you have called us. You've called us, first of all, to be saved, and, and you do that. And then you call us to be sent out, and, and you do that. And Lord, you also call us to give, that others might go. And so, do that tonight. Show us what you want from us, from those resources that you've given us. They're yours anyway. Lord, help us to be obedient in, in using what you've given us to bless those who are going. And we pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.
Let's look to the cross tonight as the ultimate example of the faithfulness of God. It's finished.
may be seated. Come and speak to us, Pastor. Thanks, brother. Wow, they're really good, huh? <laughs> well, good, uh, good evening, everybody. Good to see you. You're the brave crew. <laughs> Going to give tonight a try. Good to see all these faces. So I want to soak it in. People I love, people who've inspired me, people who let me minister to them, they're the most gracious of all. All right. Tonight, we're going to get right into it. I want to look at the example that we talked about this morning, kind of skipped over, called wholehearted uh, consecration. Uh, It's the end of verse one. And so uh, we want to go to Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Let's start there. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to it. Otherwise, I think it's next slide. Good job, man. So, uh, this is the verse. Pray the message of our Lord will spread rapidly. And then it says, and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Now, it just kind of goes without saying that if you believe the Lord and you love him, you want to see his message spread rapidly and you want to see it be honored, <laughs> of course. So the question then that might arise from this part of the text is then, well, what manner did the good news come to the Thessalonians? Because here's the qualifier, honored the way that it came to you. So we're going to have to look at how it came to the Thessalonians. So we're going to have to read a large portion of scripture, just bear with me, but it's worth reading. So turn to 1 Thessalonians. Paul's going to give a recount of how it came. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. And uh, we're going to read all the way to chapter 2, verses 12. So hang with us. All right, so he's going to bring it up there. You can follow me here if you can. I'll read and then we'll pray, just like this morning. When we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. In spite of the severe suffering that it brought you in this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For everywhere we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living, to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. Jesus, from whom God raised from the dead, he's the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Now you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. 
You know how badly we'd been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition so you can see we are not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God and entrusted or to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Verse 5. Never once, there you go, verse 5. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness. We were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we've never sought it from you or from anyone else. As apostles of Christ... We certainly had a right to make demands of you, but instead, we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives, too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you night and day? We toiled during a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know how we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom. And glory. Let's pray. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for finishing it. Thanks for making a way for us to have a changed heart and a new life. So that we could love people. Be loved. Lord, you made a way for all of that. You made a way for forgiveness of sin. You made a way for everything. It's all you. You get all the glory. It's because of your grace that any of this is possible. Any of this. So we thank you. We worship you for that. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would help us tonight to live a life that you would consider worthy. To us, for you, and for those around us. Lord, we thank you for letting us share in your kingdom and your glory. May your kingdom, Lord, uh, may it just spread all over all over the earth, Lord, and may you be glorified. Thank you for including us in your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there's uh, so much truth there, right? I mean, we just covered a whole chunk of scripture. <laughs> Where do you want to start, right? So um, I'm telling you, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually trusting that these men, these godly men who are going to preach will bring in the good stuff, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, so much could be preached about the power of the Holy Spirit. So many things in our head that we already have in our mind of what that looks like, what that is. In the preaching, in the teaching, the doctrines, the assurance, all passed on through this team's tumultuous time in Thessalonica. But I'm going to have us look, I think God would have us look at another aspect of how the Holy Spirit's power was used. Uh, I think it can be a little overlooked uh, in kind of the spectacle of big themes that are in Thessalonians. I mean, think about Thessalonians. These are big themes, important themes. So, the Holy Spirit, 
ever seeking, ever leading. He's been preparing hearts long before Paul, Silas, and Timothy ever arrived in the city. Timothy joined the team along the way in Lystra. The rapid reception of the message and, of course, the rapid persecution that followed, that began long before with the wholehearted consecration of the messengers. What stands out to me in these verses as I listen to them and read them is that it seems that every area of these messengers' lives was open to the Holy Spirit to use as they shared the good news. I think verse 8 describes it very well. It says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. That was the posture. That's how the gospel came to Thessalonica. Did you kind of note as we were reading that there was this posture of genuineness from Paul throughout the whole thing and the team? The way the team lived among them was unique. It was great. How gentle, how patient. I mean, the words, like a mother, like a father. That was their approach. How hardworking, how concerned, how fully devoted, both to God and to those who first gathered in Jason's house. Right? This posture is everywhere in these letters. Even the rebukes in the letter are tempered with a loving patience that always reminds the Thessalonians how dear they are, how loved by God they are, how they were prayed for, and there's this bond that they now share. They share it. What a uniquely powerful demonstration of the Spirit via deep, enduring works to transform these men into men who could express deep empathy, connection, love for others, concern. So the leader of this band, we all know him, was Paul. Now let's think back to where we first meet Saul of Tarsus. Let's compare that to the Paul who's writing this letter with his team. Maybe Paul's story will help us define the example of wholehearted consecration that I'm uh, talking about. When we see Saul in Tarsus, this guy is totally committed. He was going to see that the God of Israel was honored according to the traditions of his ancestors, even by force. Making his biblical teachers proud, he gave the nod at Stephen's stoning. Then he sent out was sent out by them with authority, zealously rounding up Jesus' followers, having them killed or imprisoned. He was breathing fire. Fire you could take to the bank. He was coming for you. He was wielding his power like some kind of cat of nine tails, fomenting fear on these blaspheming cultists in every direction. Persecutions ringing out from Judea, Samaria, and beyond. He was on a wholehearted mission. What a miserable, miserable mission. Then, like a lightning bolt, he's brought face to face with the Jesus that he hates. (laughs) Such divine intervention, right? Hard to put it into words what happens here. But this most wholehearted of Jews 
found himself wholly wrong about God, about the Messiah, and about himself. Consider the depth of his crisis. The inner contradiction of everything he knew. Everything. Blood-stained memories. Unforgivable shame. As he felt these scales, these mysterious scales fall off of his eyes. Kneeling amongst these trembling believers who were wondering what to do with him. (laughs) This is how Barnabas... Think about this. Like, so that's the scene. Think about this next scene. And there's lots of scenes in between, but these are the ones I'm going to use. Barnabas took up for Paul. Think about that. Barnabas. I like Barnabas. Because he believed that Christ had transformed Paul. He believed it. Maybe not everybody else did, but Barnabas did. He believed for him so much. So much so that he stood beside him and he pressed the motion that Paul should be fully accepted by the apostles in the church. That's courage. God used Barnabas to strengthen and mobilize Paul. When Paul was out and nobody knew where he was, Barnabas could find him. Yet God, knowing that proclamation, or excuse me, I'm going to skip my note. Next. Uh, Paul's time in the deserts of Arabia. There's a... <laughs> Another strange time in Paul's life. For three years, God himself dredged the depths of this man's soul, uprooting faulty core beliefs, prejudices, all contrary to the law of Christ. And God, with a tender care, placed a new foundation, establishing in Paul the clarifying message of the gospel of grace for all. God knew that proclamation without life-on-life demonstration is fruitless, So God continued to forge and to mold Paul through his experiencing a new life in a wide community of believers. After a total of 11 years, intense discipleship, nurturing, God had wrought himself a man who not only had a firm grasp on God's message, but God had a man that lived that message. He lived it. An affectionate man. Consecrated by the Spirit of Christ. Paul preached boldly, maybe as bold as anyone. He taught wisely. But I'm more impressed by his incredible gifts to authentically, I'm not more impressed, I'm as impressed with his gifts to authentically be with people the way that Christ was with him. It's incredible. A man who had his heart wide open fully aware of God's faithfulness, fully known, able to make himself known appropriately, and nothing to hide. Nothing. This chief of sinners, he knew the fullness of God's transforming power. He knew it. Because every truth that he had believed had to be wrung out, brought out of Scripture, brought in front of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had to illumine that. The Holy Spirit led Paul into truth, centered in a person, Jesus Christ. And in that relationship of joy, he had never experienced, right? His joy was just transforming him. And I quote, for the letter brought death, but the Spirit gives life. That's our man, Paul. 
Paul had to be completely reoriented to God. And Christ had to sift through every inch of this guy's heart and mind, recentering all of his emotions, all of his loyalties, reconciling and restoring him for a new life. This heart was led into a full expression of the love of God. No wonder God used this man's heart, this man's mind, and this man's hand to pen 1 Corinthians 13. This most undeserving man knew for a fact in the marrow of his bones that if God could love, intervene, redeem, and transform him, God could and would do that for anyone. Anyone. No matter how resistive, no matter how contentious, no one too hard for God. There are many other examples of how Paul and his team approached people, problems, and problem people. So it so happens that Paul's team had written these letters uh, to Thessalonica from Corinth, probably. That's probably the case, as they reconvened there. And so in Corinth, later on, some people in that church, uh, you know, kind of foolishly arguing, kind of exhibiting some strange behaviors as they ignored the examples of Paul, and he had carefully modeled them. And so had the team. So, let's look at the manner of his response to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11 through 13. Now, this is a good one. I don't know how he would have said this, but this is how I think he just said it. No, dear Corinthian friends, we've spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There's no lack of love on our part, but you've withheld your love from us. I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Listen, Paul really loved these people. He wasn't pretending to love them. He demonstrated it. He freely and appropriately communicated with them. He told them what he was doing. You know, what was going on in his life, what he shared his feelings, his struggles, his failures, pressures, problems. He let him know, uh, he even let him know how he tried to cope with those things. That's the mark of love. To open up to others is to love them. But to close up, to withhold some little piece of you, to not communicate in all honesty, that's to violate love. This happens a lot today. Christians think it's right for them to be closed in up on themselves, and to be you know, completely private persons, and unable or unwilling to communicate who they are, how they feel, where they're at in life. That, of course, is the way of the world. The world teaches us, don't trust anyone, especially God or his people. Hypocrites. Don't let anyone see who you really are. Put on a front. But we need to understand that when we become followers of Jesus, we have to learn to remain open to God and to others. We have to learn it. When Paul says, our heart is open to the Corinthians, Paul means there's no favoritism in it. He includes the whole congregation, all of them. He did not love only the nice people among them. 
He loved them all. Not, he loved the difficult ones. He loved the ones who were struggling. He loved the hard-to-get-along-with ones. Anybody know a hard-to-get-along-with one? There were no preconditions to, the, to his demand. Like, he didn't demand of anyone something before he would love them. None, the whole congregation, he didn't demand of them something before he would love them. He loved them. Another example uh, of Paul's manner with people. Let's look at this. The story of Onesimus. Uh, he's a displaced slave. He'd met Paul, came to Jesus, Paul discipled him into a slave of Christ. Now, Paul has to send him back to his owner, Philemon, to reconcile in the Lord. Now, as a slave owner, Philemon had some pretty frightening legal rights, uh, you know, of what he could have done to Onesimus upon his return. But Paul wrote to him to ensure a kingdom outcome. Philemon, verse 8 and 9. This is a great one. It reads this way. Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. I would prefer, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. This is the approach. Once again, Paul is appealing, opening his heart to Philemon, and then writes several reminders about their relationship, about what Philemon truly owes Paul and God. It's honoring. It's appealing. It's this manner that Paul had with his team as they engaged the Thessalonians. They could weep with those who weeped. They could rejoice with those who rejoiced. They could enter into where broken people were struggling and they could be with them long enough to be there for them. And everyone knew it. Everyone felt it. They felt a heart wide open. They felt this wide open heart of Christ through Paul and his team. That's what they felt. Paul was probably one of the most influential people to have ever lived. Yet, he was at home with the commonest of people. He lived with them in a way that honored them and valued them, using his power to humbly and wisely encourage, urge, care, remind. He disciplined himself. He disciplined himself to set aside human preference, preconditions, and premature judgments. He lived a life of love in response to the fullness of love that he knew. So unbelievably, (laughs) unbelievably, there are people today, theologians mostly, uh, who would wipe away any influence of Paul's examples and instructions from Scripture. Idiots. God entrusted Paul and his team to not only message clearly and boldly, but to make this team could love the Gentiles fully. What a power. What a power. Whole hearts loving the Gentiles. This team nurtured these people, believed in them through their difficulties, believed for them when they couldn't on their own. These are formative pagans. They doubted. They fumbled. They were tossed about in their faith. Paul and his team 
expressed a confidence, a confidence in Christ, and a confidence in the Lord that Christ would be formed in them when it often looked otherwise. How? How did they do that? That's the question. Well, because the whole team knew in their souls that God would be as faithful to the Thessalonians as God had been to them. Simple. Some of you might be thinking, Brian, you're painting too naive a picture of Paul's patience with, the, uh, you know, your cherry-picking verses of Paul's sweetness, right? And so, Paul, I understand Paul. Yeah, there were disobedient people. He had, he had been patient. You know, it was not a fuzzy, soft situation there, right? Paul knew better than any one of us that not everyone was a believer, didn't he? And he had the scars to prove it. But what's astounding (laughs) is that even with his many experiences with the wicked, they couldn't jade Paul. They couldn't close down his open heart of love for long. Not for long. So, love endures all things. That characterized this man's life characterized his life. So, regarding those in the church of Thessalonica who had continued to close themselves off, kind of dropping the relationship or whatever, I mean, they could invent a narrative or whatever. What did Paul and his team say to do (laughs) about these troublemakers? Well, Paul asks at the end of chapter three, very clearly, that the people in the church will take note of anyone who still refuses the commands and examples of the letter. And to give them uh, some noticeable distance. (laughs) To be very careful how you interact with them. Very careful. But not to treat them like enemies. To treat them and warn them as brothers and sisters. Friends, it's implied (laughs) in the text of brothers and sisters that you actually love these people. (laughs) It's implied that they're brotherly and sisterly to you. Actually, it's commanded, isn't it? Christ said, love each other. It's a commandment. So I asked myself that a lot. I asked myself the whole time I was memorizing these passages. I don't do that very well. I don't do that very well. I might be the worst person I know with that. A lot of work needs to be done in me. Can I humbly give grace again? Inform again, clearly, patiently. Can I give other people a chance? Am I too easily disgusted with people? Their failures, their dramas? Is it just easier to cut the communication and just kind of draw away and treat them like an enemy? May it never be, brothers. So, the team knows. Let's just say it plainly. The team, the team all knows when they're writing this letter that there's a destructive toxicity that might need to be carefully removed from this fellowship if it's going to remain healthy. But they also know that God will be faithful. They know it. They know it. They sense it. God will be faithful to lead them carefully into any church discipline into the right time, the right way, so they don't lose any trust, 
right? They don't create a worse problem because, you know, the old accusers just crouched at the door all the time. You get out of step, they make you pay, right? It's just there to trip you up. This patient endurance that the team had in loving people, even those who were probably undermining them, that's something to reflect upon deeply. Actually, that requires such a deep sense of knowing at the bottom of your core God's faithfulness. First Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Great verse. It's the end of the first book. First letter, I should say. And now it says this. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit, soul and body, be kept blameless until the, our Lord Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. You read it. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. This is the foundation, the love of Christ, his cross. We see Christ's faithfulness in the cross, not just to us, but to the Father, to everything. So there it is. <laughs> Paul is completely convinced in the faithfulness of God. Completely. Dear brothers and sisters, there's actually nothing stopping us, maybe but us, from relying on the faithfulness of God as deeply as Paul, Silas, and Timothy did. So we can decide anytime to trust God, be faithful, trust his faithfulness to us to others. And so we can continue to keep our hearts open. We can trust him for that. We can depend on his faithfulness for that. Now, of all the examples we looked at this morning and tonight, we looked at this great commandment pattern. We looked at an interdependent standard, a great commission vector. We looked at a wholehearted consecration, and we talked about obedience-based discipleship. When these five examples are actively being followed in our lives, in the lives of my team or in the lives of people we're discipling, then I know, we can know, we're moving in the right direction toward bearing lasting fruit in our season. You don't just pick fruit 24-7. There's seasons to life. There's a season. I sense a season coming for College Heights admissions. You sense it, I sense it. God's not just stirring this because it's a good thing. God has some plans. And he's stirring a heart. He's getting it ready for great things that he's going to do through us. Here and to the ends of the earth. He's going to be faithful to that. He wouldn't be calling us into something he wouldn't be faithful to. Right? Right? So we can trust it. So we can step out in faith as it kind of leads itself, as he leads our hearts. There's something very imprinting, maybe wholehearted and whole-brained, about experiencing discipleship through the life of a community. 
guided by such a faithful God, and we're all pursuing him together in a place of belonging where knowledge, relationship, and faith expressing itself in love must become real because it's right in the middle of our brokenness. Anyone who has experienced this kind of bond, they'll know what they bring to the world. Wherever they go in it, wherever it goes. And they will honor the Savior that died for them. And they'll honor the people that he loves. And they will be honored with him. You get that? God's not done with just him being honored. He's going to honor you. Because he loves you and he likes you and he likes what he made. He likes that you've turned to him and it makes him smile every time he thinks about you. <laughs> Love that guy. He turned his heart to me and I got him. You're in his hand and he ain't never gonna lose you. That's who he is. So may Christ lead your hearts is the end of the kind of text we were reading says, last verse, may Christ lead your hearts into a full expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. There's a section in Thessalonians where he says, I'd like to come with you and I'd like to fill in the gaps in your faith. Anybody need some gaps filled? <laughs> like a gap from beginning to end. So that's how I need to, yeah. So uh, I wanted to read this verse to close. May God fill the gaps in our faith. Do you think he'll be faithful to do that if we ask him? Amen. So there's a verse. Uh, I just kind of threw this in at the end. It's really great. Uh, verse 12 of chapter uh, 1 of Second Thessalonians. It's the end of the first chapter. It says, uh, then the name. Do all these things. Follow me. Trust me. Feel my faithfulness. Love care for people. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you will be honored along with him. And this is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. All to him I owe. That's our song. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for being faithful to us, Lord. From day one, the day that I met you, you've been faithful to me. You've never failed me. You've never left me in a lurch. You've put me around people that I needed, gave me people I could be accountable to even when I didn't want to be. And you, you hedged me about and you put people around me and you salvaged my life. And you started making it useful for you, Lord. That's more than I could ask, that we could honor you the way you've loved us. So, Lord, give everybody here, Lord, a, a full expression of the love of God to share in their families with others and to share with you. We open our hearts of worship. Lord, we surrender, Lord, our lives as a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. This is how we worship you. Our lives laid down, ready for whatever you have for us, trusting you because you're going to be faithful to us in every way. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.
I'm thankful for what Brian shared tonight. It's incredibly humbling. Uh, uh, Words don't express how humbling it is to think of all that we're called to do to love, to walk, to invest, to care, to persevere in that love, to think about how that can be honored in, in the church. Um, there's so many desires I have in Christ. How about you? Desires. That thankfully Christ fills in those gaps, but I want them filled in. I don't want them missing. And uh, how do you do that? How do you how do you keep loving? How do you keep forgiving? How do you keep investing? How do you keep worshiping? Uh, how do you how do you avoid the I've had enough pain and I I don't think I'll deal with that anymore. Um and there's only one way, right? I mean Christ in us. That's it. Um, and we need him. You know, it's always a fear of mine. It's always a fear as a pastor of a church that walks with great people. The fear is that we would one day say, ah, we got enough of him. We don't need to dig any deeper. We don't need to look any further. We don't need to care anymore. We're pretty good. Uh, Man, I hope God humbles us like crazy so that we don't do that. Right? Uh, For a lot of reasons. For his glory. For the sake of our own hearts. For the sake of others within the body of Christ here and around the world. And for the sake of the gospel being taken to the ends of the earth. So, uh, I'm thankful. What a blessed privilege it was to be here tonight. But it's not done, right? And it's not because we're going to sing another song. This kind of work doesn't happen with a snap of a finger. This this kind of work has to mean I, I need to pray deep tonight. I need to pray deep tomorrow. And I'm going to need to pray the moment before Christ calls me home. I'm never going to need to stop praying to be what God created us to be and longs for us to be. So let's sing tonight, but let's pray tonight. I mean, maybe you're like me. Maybe you're humbled and you just need to pray. So pray. Uh, It's great to sing. It's just great to pray. Uh, Whatever you need to do, respond to Christ graciously, lovingly respond to each other same way. Let's just really worship him as we respond tonight. So let's stand.
Lord, we trust your name for greater things to happen in our hearts. I truly am grateful for all that you've done in us, for all the people, Lord, that I have been blessed to be loved by and to love. I 
I'm thankful, Lord, that uh, you've promised to finish the work you started in us. I'm thankful, Lord, that you're very, very patient, merciful, and gracious to us. But quite honestly, Lord, we need more work in our hearts. We want to love like you love. I mean, we want to love like you love. And we need more strength to do that. And we need more faith to do that. We need more Christ in us to do that. So we pray you'll help us. But Lord, this isn't about us. I mean, we need you to do the work in us, but it's not about us. It's about our hearts being yours so that we can worship you, praise you, love you as you deserve. And it's about us loving others the way you've loved us, that all might know we're your disciples, that all might know the power of the gospel. So we ask you'll do, do a deep work. Where there is need for repentance, bring conviction, Lord God. Bring a weight of your presence and your holiness and your grace and your goodness that we cannot deny. Where there's been hardness, Lord God, in our hearts. We pray that once again we draw near to you and see the great sacrifice you've made for us and it would soften us. Soften us to you and to others. Where there's fear, Lord, to love. Lord, you, you're the one that overcomes fear. Our confidence and hope and security is in you, not in the vulnerability of love, Lord God. So help us trust you. And then, Lord God, please work that we would go out into our homes, our neighborhoods, our places of employment, our city, our area, our state, everywhere we go, share the gospel. And we pray that hundreds and thousands of people would be saved. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight, for Brian, Allie, Laney. Thank you for Pastor Shinde sharing, for Pastor Edward being here. Please, Lord, give us a heart to grow. And Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.